rooms above the den It's hard to know if this will be the day when you give in Give in Hello and welcome to the Thinking Poker podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brokus. And from Las Vegas, Nevada, I'm Carlos Welch. Uh, I have, I guess I said this in in the interview and I, I said it on Twitter as well, but I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, I, it's such a failing on my part that Ari Engel has not been on this podcast in nine years. He's such a good thinking poker guest. Um, if you haven't heard his first appearance was on episode 84. It was fantastic. Like that was, we were leaning a little harder into the Nitcast thing back then. And, uh, as, as was he, and there's a lot of, uh, just talk on, on, on episode 84 about, um, him you know, really trying hard to optimize like credit card points, frequent flyer miles, and, and you know, I'm like enjoying that, that aspect of, of traveling for, for poker. And he's also just like a hugely entertaining guest. Um, so, you know, the, he he was a great guest in 2014 when we first had him on the show, and I somehow let nine years go by without hitting him up for another. He actually approached me. He he DM'd me just to say that he had been enjoying the the show and and he liked a lot of our recent episodes, which we also talked to him about. Um, which of course is hugely flattering. I had no idea that he was even like listening to the show, let alone like enjoying it enough to um to to DM me about it. But of course, I took the opportunity to be like, well, we'd certainly like to have Ari back on the show. And this was just such a fun interview. He's he's such a like fun and and uh, funny and and humble guy for as much success as he's had in poker. Yeah, that's true. And and people don't even know, like a lot of people in poker now don't even know his history. It's like even when we interviewed him nine years ago, he was already a legend. Yeah. Like, you know, from the online days, it's like he he is going to be one of these people that will probably be in the Poker Hall of Fame at some point um, just to kind of see, like, you know, his career start so young and, you know, start crushing so hard young and then to continue to do that through multiple eras and continue to, you know, con- he's continuing to get better. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, if there was like a futures market for like poker hall of fame uh, <laughs> inductees, uh, he would probably be at the top of the list. Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head what the eligibility requirements are, but as far as I'm concerned, he's a hall of famer now. I, like you said, he's, he's been a, a huge name in poker for 10 plus years, uh, much more, I mean, closer to 20 years, really. Um, he's, and this is one of the things we, we talked to him about in the interview, you know, he's starting to kill it in all the games now, not just no limit. He's got two bracelets already. He's got tons of circuit rings. Um, another thing that, that comes up in the interview is he's probably played more live poker tournaments than anyone in the world. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, those all sound like good, good. Uh, maybe there's, there's maybe has to be a certain age or something that he hasn't hit yet, but um, those all sound like good criteria for hall of fame. As far as I'm concerned, he's in, he's in my personal poker hall of fame. <laughs> yeah. And very few people in the poker hall of fame have had his level of success in live and online. And then also in um, multiple um, formats, like multiple um, variants of poker. Yeah. So yeah, he's um he, he's definitely uh a shoe in as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so you've got that look to look forward to. Um just a, a very, very fun uh interview. 
before we get to that, uh, we have some strategy conversation for you. And before we get to that, we'll remind you to uh, please, if you enjoy the podcast, become a patron at patreon.com slash thinking poker daily. Uh, that will not only give you the warm and fuzzies of supporting your favorite poker podcast, but will also get you uh, daily strategy segments from Carlos and me. So you can hear us answer possibly your question or someone's question anyway. Uh, every weekday, we take about 10 minutes to answer questions that people write in. Uh, and today's strategy question actually is one of those. Uh, we're just borrowing from thinking poker daily because this seemed like a good question to try to uh, answer quickly so the people who are uh, out in Las Vegas right now playing WSOP and, and whatever else can benefit from hearing this. So this question is coming from Tom. Uh, and Tom says, in live cash games, what advice do you have for keeping track of how big the pot is and how much your opponents have? I try to add it up as more money goes in, but in multi-way pots, I often lose track or make mistakes. And when opponents don't have their chips in regular stacks, I don't have a good way of estimating what they have behind. Is asking out of the question in both cases? Um, I'm going to answer that second question first because it's easier. Um, you are not allowed to, I mean, I guess you can ask, but the dealer is not allowed to tell you <laughs> how much money is in the pot. They can spread the pot out for you to make it easier for you to count. I would discourage you from doing that too often. It slows the game down a lot. It is kind of poor form. Um, so you should be tracking the size of the pot, uh, yourself. And we'll talk about how to do that in a second. Um, if you are having trouble counting your opponent's chips, uh, it is not out of the question to ask. Um, I would encourage you to ask your opponents. It's not binding for them to give you um, a correct. I mean, they, they could get a penalty for like blatantly lying to you, but um, they're, they're not really required to give you an accurate answer, but they are required to um, stack their chips in a way that you can tell what they have. So if people are doing a thing that's called barber polling, where they just have like all kinds of different <laughs> chips in a, have you not heard that before? <laughs> No, I hadn't heard the name, but it's hilarious because I know what a barber pole is. Yeah. That is funny as hell. <laughs> so in, instead of having like the, the correct way to stack your chips is all single denomination, stacks of 20, very easy for people to eyeball. And you to kind of learn like, okay, a stack of 20, $5 chips is worth $100. Like you sort of know those things. And, you know, a stack of red is 100. And you can like ballpark what people have pretty quickly if people just, you know, do that little courtesy of stacking their chips correctly. Uh, when people insist on stacking their chips uh, differently, if it's creating a problem for you, like this is strategically very important information to know how many chips your opponents have. And a player, even if they're not doing it deliberately to try to get an advantage, they are giving themselves an advantage by concealing that information from you. And you are fully within your rights to say, you know, to, for, I mean, A, to make them like move their hands or anything else that's obstructing your view of, of their um, chips. You can make sure that all of their big chips are in front. So you can ask if, you know, if they have any, any big chips behind the dealer can verify that for you, that they don't have any big chips that are like hiding out of sight or something. Um, and if they do have their chips stacked in a in kind of unreasonable way that makes it very difficult to determine how much they have, you can even you know, get the call the floor and then uh, have them stack in, in a more reasonable way. So you absolutely do have a right to that information and your opponents are not allowed to conceal it from you, regardless of whether they're doing it deliberately or it's just they think it's fun to, to do it that way. You know, that is imposing a cost on other people. And I would encourage you because what they are doing is really like antisocial behavior. So I'm, I am fine with even slowing down the game in order to, if someone is being belligerent about it, in order to like get the floor to make them stack their chips in a way that I don't think they ha absolutely have to do it and stacks to 20, but they do need to do it in some way that like people can tell how much they have. 
this makes me so happy to know <laughs> that you know we're allowed to it's not that what they're doing is antisocial <laughs> and as far as like me asking for the information that i'm entitled to even if it slows down the game that's not antisocial because sometimes these people who think they are being instead of antisocial i'm going to say extroverts so like what part of what they do sometimes is they'll make these chip castles that are impossible to count and so they're doing it because it's like a fun thing to do and like it's like kind of a social thing to do but then i just want you to put the chips in like boring stacks that i can count and you're actually the one being antisocial by not doing that 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 idea is uh amazing to me and I'm curious how that works. Like when someone is putting it, when someone is building chip castles, like how are they expecting other people to be able to count that? Um, I, I don't think that's a priority for them. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like, yeah, I would derive great pleasure from making them uh, demolish that castle in order for me to get the information I'm entitled to. And um, yeah, I'm happy that that makes me the social one. And they're the antisocial one. That's yeah, and, and people they will treat you like an asshole. Like they 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 will uh, assert that you are being an asshole by even just asking people to move their hands. People get belligerent about that. Um, and I'm I'm like I I know that I'm in the right when I ask them to do it. And like the more belligerent that they get, the happier I am to like make them do it repeatedly. <laughs> like there's just I, I it's a real chip on my shoulder when people sort of take advantage of of my desire to like be agreeable or or to like not make waves when people try to like weaponize that against me in order to like get an advantage over me. Like I'm. I, I, okay. time now. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not the world's <laughs> most assertive person by default, but like I have learned to relish being assertive in these cases. Yes, yes, same. Um, okay. In terms of, so I don't always. I mean, I try to have a rough idea of like who are the big stacks, who are the small stacks at, at the table. Like, I, I kind of have a background idea of like what most people's stacks are, and if someone new comes to the table, I'll, I'll kind of note roughly how many chips they have. Um, the most important thing is just when you're actually in a pot with something. Like, so it's good to be aware of like, if, if, you know, someone covers you, it's nice to know like the person on your left, like it's more important to pay attention to the stacks of the people on your immediate left and right. They're the people you're going to play the most pots with. Um, if you're thinking about opening a pot, you want to pay attention to the big blind in particular, and they're, you're most likely to contest the pot with them. So you don't necessarily have to know like everyone's stacks, but you do want to think about like who are the most important people in a given situation and be a little bit more aware of, of what their stack looks like. Um, in terms of tracking the the pot, I do try to just keep keep track of this as we go. Um, you can do it in big blinds. That can make it a little bit easier now, especially now that we have a big blind ante. Like that's always the right. same amount. So I just know, you know, if if okay, there's a raise. If it doesn't really matter if it was two point two or two point three. Like you don't you don't necessarily have to have it accurate. If like if it's difficult for you, it's okay that you don't have accurate down to like fractions of a big blind. If you know that it's, the pot is like roughly ten big blinds when you're saying the flop or something like that, you know, like that's that's good enough. But I think you can keep track of okay, there were three people who. I'll call it a roughly two X raise. Plus there's the small blind and the big blind ante. So that means we've got um, seven and a half blinds in the pot going to the flop. And then uh, you can, if you maybe in order to deal with post flop bet sizes, you then have to multiply that by the size of, of the big blind. Uh, and then you do try to keep track of as more money. So once you have the baseline of how much is it when we're going to the flop, then as more money goes in, you do have to keep a running tally. That's how I do it is I just sort of keep that running tally. Um, I don't always get it perfectly but that's what i'm trying to do and 
in the cases where it really matters, if you've lost, like if you're facing an all-in bet for your tournament life, that's the kind of time when if you've lost track of the size of the pot, you can't ask the dealer to spread it out. I'm just saying like only do that in extreme situations. Uh, if it's just like, am I going to continuation bet or not? I wouldn't spread the pot for that purpose. Um, but this is like a routine for me, uh, mostly when we're going to the flop, I'm doing a few things as the dealer is like getting ready to spread the flop. Um, I'm double checking my cards, so I don't have to do it again. And I don't give anything away by double checking when the flop comes down. I always double check my cards before the flop comes down. And then I try not to look at them again. Um, I make sure I know the stack sizes of the other people who are in the pot with me and I make sure that I know the pot size and I'm gathering all that information ideally before the flop comes down, but certainly before I act on the flop. So even if I'm first to act, I'm going to make sure I have that information before I act, even if I have to take an extra second or two to do it. I think it's important enough to get that. Other than that, I think it's just practice. Yeah. Practice that I don't have for a couple of reasons. Cause I, when I talked about the um, chip castles, that's something I primarily see in tournaments. And this question is specifically for cash games. I, I don't think, well, I don't play cash games. So I guess this is a question for you. Do you see that sort of behavior in cash games? Uh, certainly less often. I think the main time you see it is when someone who's used to playing higher stakes, like comes down and plays one, two or something. Uh, and then they're, they're so bored because it's just, it's really beneath <laughs> them to be playing this game. And so the only way they can entertain themselves is by building, you know, stacks with all these you know chips that are just a pittance to them. <laughs> That's funny for me. I don't play much live. And when I do it's tournaments and when I do that, I late reg. So it's easier for me to figure out what the effective stack is. Cause it's me. Uh, I'm the shortest guy there and it's mainly uh push full uh, and unless, you know, I run up a stack from there and then I'll be dealing with some of these issues, but I can see uh, this being more of a concern for cash game players who are dealing with, you know, more big blinds than I'm used to. Yeah. You know, I, I totally missed, even though I read it, um, <laughs> I, I totally missed <laughs> that this was, uh, he had mentioned cash games specifically. Um, cause I do think this is more of a concern in tournaments. There's more fluctuation of, of stack sizes. I mean, I do, I do the same thing in, in cash games and I try to look at, um, at people's stacks, but it, it comes up less often in, in cash games. Yeah. There's probably less strategic differences between like, say, uh, 100 big blind stack and 125 big blind stack, 150 big blind stack even yeah, that's than right. it would be in, in tournaments. So yeah, that, that makes sense why you don't have to think about it as much in cash games. Like as long as they're not short, um, if, then it's kind of like easy to know that everybody has at least uh, 100 bigs. And then once you start getting to the point where everybody or multiple people have more than 200 bigs, that's when you got to start making some bigger strategic changes but yes yeah, as, as long as everybody's you know fairly close to 100 then i imagine that there's not much um you need to think about yeah it gets more complicated like if you have a lot and then like most other people have 100 but some people have more than that then you know you, you do need to kind of know who are the other people who have big stacks along with you and be aware of you know, when whether or not they're in the pot because that is going to have a bigger impact on things right have you ever played in a game, Carla, where, where cash played, where people could just have like lots of hundred dollar bills on the table? One time and one time only. Down, a nightmare. It is a nightmare down in Biloxi. So uh, not only was like cash on the table, but like half the table had on cowboy hats. 
and and they had like like hundreds like like the chips were stacked on top of the hundred dollar bills yeah so it was like impossible to know like it would be different if it was like bricks that were like wrapped like that would be reasonable but it's like i don't know if those are like nine bills or four bills and we're and it's like a one-two game where like yeah it, yeah it was crazy it was crazy i'll never do that again and they're not required to tell you <laughs> it's 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 a nightmare i mean i i understand that the, I mean, the games were better when that happened because it eliminated so the, the main reason why people liked games where cash played was that you didn't have to wait for a chip runner to bring you more chips and so when people lost money it was easier for them to reload and keep playing which you often want like a person who's losing money you would like to make it you would like to lower the threshold for them to continue to play right. and not get frustrated or embarrassed you know so that, like just the idea of having to wait for someone to come over and be like oh who's the loser who lost all his chips which seat is the loser in like i think people <laughs> wanted to avoid that that experience right but um yeah although like in terms of actually like if you if just two people who were professionals playing against each other and you know they're not going to be influenced so much by that kind of thing and which is not a given actually for professionals but um you know the two people who are not really going to be influenced by that uh, it was just annoying because you had to ask people to like you know count count their bills in front of you that was really the only one because they literally could just lie to you and be like, oh, I have, I don't know, about a thousand. I was like, oh, it was actually 2000. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if the chips have to be stacked in a way that's countable, I don't understand why the bills shouldn't be spread in a way that's countable. Yeah. Um, most casinos don't are, are not allowed to allow it now because it's right. like a money laundering um, concern. But yeah, for for a while, that was like standard um, in, in Vegas that the bills would play and it was pretty annoying. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms, I guess the last thing I'll say on on or that I have to say on this subject is uh, just from your own ethics. We can you know, flip this around. Uh, you should make sure that your chips are stacked in a way that other people can eyeball them easily. So ideally, that means like I say, best practice here is you've got. Any, if you have 20 or more of a single denomination, that's all in one stack. It's stacked to exactly 20. Um, I'll even double check it because every once in a while you will turn out your stack is actually 19 or um, uh, happily 21. Uh, and so, you know, figuring that out and, and correcting it is is nice to keep an eye on that from, from time to time. But you know, mostly you, you have your stacks of 20, all the denominations are grouped together. So if you have several stacks of red that are all, uh, you know, $100 stacks, you've got all those in one place together. Um, the larger denomination chips should be in front and visible. So if you have some stacks of 25 and some stacks of fives, the 25s should be in front. I'm gesturing with my hands here as though anyone can see that. Um, you might have a few stray like $100 black chips. Uh, put those either in front or on top where they're clearly visible. And if you notice that someone is looking at your stack, you can even go out of your way to make sure that they know you have a larger denomination chip. That's particularly true if you have a very large denomination chip. So if you happen to have, say, you know, especially you're playing like a two five game, you've got a couple stacks of red and then you have like an orange $1,000 chip. Um, it's very important that people know that you have that. And so I think you know, either when people are eyeballing your stack, you can you know, point to it or make sure that they know that it's there or just have it sitting very prominently out on its own. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the, the bigger the chip is, the more important it is that your opponents are aware that it's there and that it's very easy for them to, to see that it's there. Makes sense. 
Thank you very much for the question. Uh, hopefully that'll help both tournament and cash game players in Las Vegas and beyond. Uh, and now please enjoy our interview with Ariango. Have you guys, I mean, I know you've played together before. Have you actually like met or spoken before you and Carlos? I don't think we've had like a conversation, but uh, I think um, last time I played live, Laura, uh, Ari was the last person to bust me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he busted me out of, I think it was like the 800 deep stack we were deep in last year. And I think when I came to the table, I knew who he was and I think he knew who I was, but you know, I don't talk at the table. So um, yes. Yeah. So we didn't have a conversation. I don't know if we, we ever have, but um, uh, we do know we do know each other. Exactly. Well, I, you know, I, I just um, I looked over your your Twitter account as part of my like preparation for today. And and I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be, but I feel like the algorithm has been disserving me because <laughs> your your recent work has been gold. I love the. Um, the, the why me bit that you've been oh, yeah. doing. And I, I was completely <laughs> unaware of it until until today. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've gotten a lot of good uh, feedback on it. And just in general, I, I was kind of looking back over, because um, I was, it was one of our earlier episodes at this point. You were episode 84, I think, um, something like that. It's been nearly 10 years uh, since, since wow. we spoke Is that to true? you. Yeah. And um, I mean, you were already a big deal at, at the time, but you've you've only skyrocketed since then. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, it was it was 2014 when, when we spoke with you. And I think it was around this time of year, like uh, it was a little before WSOP, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that time, you've had uh, two WSOP bracelets, like you didn't have any in 2014. That's right. So two WSOP bracelets. Uh, it looks like you've branched out into a lot of other games besides No Limit. Not that you weren't already playing them a little bit, but it seems like you've um, you've leaned into that harder now. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got uh, way more into the other games in the last few years. What was the impetus? Was it just like more interesting or better opportunities? What was the impetus for that? I've I've enjoyed playing Omaha Hilo for a long time, and. Um, I, I, so like you know i'd always messed around like full tilt playing a 200 horse here and there and uh the stud games always uh i never really did well with them and um in 2018 i went to lapc and they have a leaderboard there so uh basically if you play a lot um you got rewarded for it and i got a couple of scores and I, maybe it was like, I don't really remember what my mindset was, but um, I guess maybe like I was there and had busted out of something else and there was mixed game and I did okay in a couple of them. And then I stayed around and just played a lot and played a, a bunch of mixed games and had, a, a, you know, a bunch of good results, you know, you know, 300, 400, 500, 600 all buying tournaments, that kind of thing. And um uh, and it's kind of like, you know, you have some success, start playing more. And um, during uh, during COVID, when I wasn't playing live, um, I started uh, I started playing in a uh, online group where it was fairly low stakes, but it was 25 different games. 
And a lot of them I had never played before, but um, because it was pretty low stakes and we were Zooming together and it was, you know, like some socializing, I just started playing um, all these new games and kind of got into it. And then when I went back to playing live, started playing uh, just like mixed cash games and um, yeah, and just been like kind of increasing the number of uh, tournaments that I play and getting more comfortable Um you know, playing uh, the various different games, but I still have uh, a lot of work to do uh, in in some of them for sure. What does that work look like? I mean, so you don't have access to solvers for most of them the way you would for for No Limit. How do you go about studying those other games? Yeah, I don't have access to solvers. Um, I would not. I I believe that there are people that do have access to them. How can um, they not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, it involves uh, kind of you know the way uh, the way we used to learn uh, in the olden days, which would be playing, uh, watching training videos, and watching you know uh, hands you know uh, like final table replays. And then the biggest one is uh, I do have a, a few people um, that are much better than me that are willing to discuss. Um, strategy and poker hands with me. Um, I'll give them a shout out. Uh, Adam Friedman, Phil Hui, and Nick uh, Guajanti. Uh, they've all helped me a lot uh, in different games, different ways, but you know, all three of them have really helped me a lot. How different did it feel? I mean, did you feel like the experience that you had in No Limit translated fairly directly in, into playing the other games or was it more like learning a different language or something well you, tournaments are tournaments so there's definitely um some of the like tournament ideas translate very well and um i've uh over the years having decent results in some of these mixed game tournaments i feel like i've done better than uh, a comparatively skilled uh player like you know, technically skilled in those games because I have um, uh, better tournament knowledge. And yeah, like I, or I think like a player that's good in one game, it can help them a little bit. And also like vice versa, as you learn new ideas and new stuff, it could potentially translate into uh, your main game and help you or at least uh, open your mind to other considerations. But there's also like, like I play Oma Hilo is my favorite game and I play a lot of that. And, um, you know, let's say I'm sitting at a cash table waiting for action. If, if, uh, you know, very often in the online lobbies, uh, Oma Hilo and Oma High are together and I'll have a PLO player come sit at my PLO 8 table. And that's kind of a dream. So like, even though the games are similar, that's kind of the worst thing. The fact that they're like somewhat similar and, I think that happens all the time where a no limit player comes to a PLO. Um, it doesn't just like it doesn't automatically translate and and you can have a lot of bad habits, which I definitely do have still a lot of bad habits in my uh in my mixed games from from the no limit. But I have an overpair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Are are what are what are some of those tournament concepts that translate over? Um, well, you know, the one that comes to mind is, uh, like abusing bubbles. Um, that's that I, I see people maybe not do enough of, um, mm. when, uh, when they get the big stack in, in, in these various mixed games and, um, 
uh, yeah, and play like, you know, obviously like we know in No Limit, you're going to play hands that under normal circumstances you never would. And um, yeah, so the same the same thing would hold true in, in a mixed game situation, but people will be like, nah, that's, that's a hand I never would play, so I, I never will play it. Um, uh, the same thing is like true on the other end where, where you have the short stack, uh, and, um, okay, this is a hand I got to play, but, uh, but no, you're like 21 of 27 and 25 people pay. You might, maybe you don't have to play it, uh, or you don't have to play it as hard. Um, so yeah, there's like, you know, and yeah, so it's like that kind of idea where like people are more like cash game oriented because there's not a lot of uh, mixed game tournaments, although that's changing a little bit over the last few years, I think. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's th th those uh, those kind of ideas. So, of course, you know, uh, at final tables, that that sort of situation, uh, you know, stack, stack size is uh, impacting your play. Makes sense. Yeah, we had... Um Ben you on here, I think it might've been about as long as, as your last appearance, like almost 10 years ago, but uh, he kind of blew my mind talking about a PLO spot. I think it was from the bubble where he like, you know, put his opponent all in and he was like, I don't think he can even call basis. Like, it's just like, there's no hand right. that has enough equity to, to call off against me. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we always used to laugh with people that say, uh, what spots can you fold aces? Um, I think, I think that is true in PLO. There are, there are spots on, on the bubble where, it might be appropriate to fold them. I' not saying that in practice I actually uh, end up doing that, but uh, I think in theory that could hold true. What are some things that you felt like you brought back to your no limit game from uh, exploring some of these other games? I don't know if I have anything directly that I can say um, like that, but I think it just has opened up my mind to two different things, like like. Oh, okay. So this is this is kind of idea. I'll just I'm kind of exploring it, and it's not thoroughly hashed out. But like, uh, there are times where by by not betting, let's say this is like a stud concept, somewhat um, by not betting on third or fourth street, uh, you actually increase the fold equity later because the the pot is smaller. And oh, so, that's like an you know, old school gonna, David Sklansky concept. Yeah, and you know, so there's more fold equity. Obviously, they're not getting the same pot odds. And um, you know, I I came up in the like seabed everything era, um, and um, obviously, you know that 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 idea has you know been been disproven from the theory point of view. But just the general idea of you having more fold equity potentially by playing passively that's a little bit counterintuitive, I would say. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I think the, the thing you said also about just the like flexibility of thinking or, or entertaining new ideas, I think, especially for people who've been playing as, as long as we have and came up in like a pre-solver era, when you've been playing one game for a really long time and you kind of get accustomed, there's like certain situations that you're just like, I just know how to play this this spot. Right. And uh, so being forced to solve situations on the fly where you're just like, you're never going to know triple draw or whatever, as well as, you know, hold them. And maybe that's not even the best example, but like, you know, a game where you, you're often going to find yourself in spots where you're like, 
I'm, I'm, I have to figure out a strategy on the fly. I, I don't know this game well enough to, um, to, to just like have a memorized uh, solution to how to play this, this situation. And not that you always do a no limit either, but that's kind of the point is like, you get more accustomed to doing that when you're playing other games and like realizing that you have to figure stuff out on the fly. And then you become more willing to, to do that. That's been my experience. Um, I don't play nearly as many like other games, but when I have, I think that's something that it's helped me with is just to be a little bit more flexible in, in terms of just like, thinking about the spot as a spot rather than about um just like what did i see someone do here in a training video or something mm -hmm. the other one i mean which it comes up so rarely in in hold'em compared to in certain games but the idea of like betting someone off of a chop right, which is a huge part of any split pot game but then like occasionally comes up in, in no limit. And I think it at least used to be the case that people handled those spots pretty badly if they were strictly no limit players, just like didn't try hard enough to bluff people out when there was like a straight on the board or something like that. Right. Right. And also um, there's, there's, I, I, at least the, the style that I play um, when it comes to Oma Hilo uh, and maybe it's uh, kind of derivative of split pot is um you're not really betting for value. You're not really betting as a bluff. Um, you're kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, <laughs> you know, which maybe is not, you know, uh, the the best thing always, but but just these these other ideas where where you're where you're betting to maybe uh, um, because it's the best thing, like it's better than the other alternatives. But like, if you just thought of it kind of in a more like binary mode, it doesn't, you can't answer the question, am I betting as a bluff or, or for value? And just, and just, yeah, just like different ideas, which sometimes like admittedly, I've always been like a trial and error player and uh, I do a lot of dumb things, um, no doubt. And so like being, being willing to experiment and, take maybe take this idea and see how it uh see how it translates um you know limping strategies things like that um yeah i'm definitely like you know in no limit or any game i'm not like a solver approved player and so taking taking ideas and kind of uh trying to come up with something good from it which games have you had the hardest time like climbing onto uh, dealer's, dealer's choice is over, so maybe I can say it. It does feel like it could be a little <laughs> bit of a could be a little bit of a punt uh, talking about that. Um, but yeah, but I guess I'll say it, and then and then hopefully I'll work on my game, and it won't be true <laughs> in the future. Um, but uh, the five card draw, both uh, high five card draw and no limit single draw. Um, I have felt I felt weaker weaker in those uh, for sure. Which a lot of people say like no limit players, one of the better games should be no limit single draw, but I have not translated well into that. Yeah, I've always had trouble wrapping my head around those games also, and I feel like part of it is your information comes from a different play. Like when you play Hold'em, a lot of your information comes from seeing the shared community cards, and in games where there are no shared community cards and your information is coming entirely just like from the actions that your opponent takes and from the cards that you have have that you've seen come through your own hand that you know are not in, in your opponent's hand i think it's just like again like those are things that are aspects of no limit but they're not nearly <laughs> as emphasized in in no limit and that's the, the the way i've explained to myself why i can't wrap my head around those games 
Yeah, I, I haven't been able to explain it um, to myself yet. And um, and that might be also be like, uh, I feel like sometimes when you know the game better, you can say, okay, this is what I was doing wrong. This is um, when you use something like, maybe I don't even know what I'm, you know, what I'm not good at or or what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. Uh, are there games that you think are are underappreciated? Uh, I mean, you know, the Oma Hilo stuff, I just, I just love. And um, so <laughs> I kind of uh, would like them to be more popular, but uh, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, it's uh, like the, the cash games that I normally play are, you know, 15 to 20 game mixes and have all sorts of different games. And there's, there's really something to that, to, uh, to just playing a whole bunch of different stuff. And you're obviously not going to be amazing at all of them, but no, but you know, almost no one will. And, um, yeah, just, uh, just kind of experimenting, learning new stuff, playing, playing a bunch of different things. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of us play, you know, I mean, there's of course tons of professionals that pay that play to pay their rent, but I think both professional and non-professional, a lot of us play for like, uh, the mental warfare, uh, component of poker. And, um, there, you know, it's uh, it's it's taking it to a different uh, to a different area by by playing so many different games and competing in so many different ways. Is there kind of like a community standard or ethic around sitting out games that, that you're bad at? Is that sort of like frowned upon, or how, how's that handled? Yeah, I, I haven't bumped into I haven't bumped into that at all. Um, it wouldn't be acceptable, but. Um, the, the online sites uh, will, uh, yeah, I mean, the only one that I've really played on that has um, mixed uh, mixed stuff that isn't like a private site is uh, is PokerStars. And they, uh, they'll have a warning that if you sit out routinely, you can get punished or whatever. Um, in the live games that I've played in, uh, yeah, that, that doesn't really happen. I mean, uh, the, the only thing I can think of is like, one of the guys that I play that I play in one of the games likes to smoke cigarettes a lot. And, um, you know, in the games with blinds, you sit out, you kind of miss an orbit, but in stud games, you can come and go. So he'll go in stud games. Um, but besides that, I, I haven't bumped into, I mean, it would be frowned upon for sure if you just routinely set out one of the games, but, um, most people that kind of think in that way just won't really play in like a 20 game mix. You know, it'd be really rare to like <laughs> right. be good at 17 of the games and then just not be good at one of them. Are there games besides Hold'em that you think are overrated? I mean, I don't think Hold'em is overrated. I, I enjoy it. Um, well, but, I mean, uh, I enjoy it. It's just like, it's so much yeah. more popular than any other game. Right. It's, right. Um, no, uh, I don't, I, uh, I can't really, I mean, you know, like when, like this, this could be another reason why I haven't done well in the, in the, in the single draw and five card draw. When I play mixed games, I like to do a lot of prop betting on the side. So like I'll bet on like the high cards on the flop or red and black and just completely like neutrally the gambles. But I like to have a lot of that. And in five card draw stuff or in, in those kind of draw games, there's not as much stuff that you can bet on. Uh, you can kind of bet on your own hand being a bad hand but um so yeah most of the time when like the, one of the things about the mixed games is like when you first start there's some games just have like a complete set set games like it's always that like one of the games i play at resort world sometimes is, is like it's the same 18 games in this order there's no negotiating but like 
when I play it win um, a, a little bit of a more middle state game um, that's like completely up in the air what games we play so I try not to have the games that uh, there's no profiting and not from a skill perspective just because I want more action um, yeah how much of a factor is that that negotiation over what games are going to be in the mix it is it's I mean, it, 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 it's part of the thing, but, um, you know, poker players just like always come late to everything. So it's like <laughs> one, one, it's like an incentive, you know, how like I'm Venetian, they started doing this. I think it's pretty cool. Like if you register in the first level of day one, a, you get a big rake discount. If you register in the first level of day one, B, you get a medium rake increase, rake decrease, and then, you know, nothing for a one C where everyone wants to show up for one C. Um, so this is kind of like the incentive uh, to show up early and get the game going. Uh, I was playing a lot in uh, in maybe like a year ago, just like three-handed, um, these mixed games where we would start to get the game going and then no one else would show up. But then uh, plenty of, yeah, most of the time when I show up, the game gets full. For some reason, the game super quickly gets full. <laughs> I, I will say to your credit, um, you were three minutes early for today's. Uh, so I, I got my little Zoom notification three minutes before we were set to start that Ari had <laughs> yeah. joined. And, and as you might guess, that is not the standard for, uh, for uh, yeah, other that, guests. I, I asked my accountant, who's a poker accountant, uh, shout out Russ Fox. I'm really, I, I had a different guy beforehand and I've started using him a few years ago. Um, I asked him, I told him uh, this year, you know, this was like two years ago. This year, I'm not going to file an extension. It's going to be paid on time. Everything's going to, you know, I'm going to be filed on time. And he goes, I will bet the other side to that. And um, <laughs> and then I asked him what percentage of uh, his clients uh, do not ask for an extension. And he said uh, around 10%. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and luckily, we didn't bet because he was right. <laughs> I'm also one of Russ's clients, and I I think um, Russ will have to verify this, but I think I tend to have um, at least um, this year I had everything ready, all the extension anyway, because it's a free roll. Like, why not get okay. extra time? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you're you're part of the ten percent, but no, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, so the other thing that. that stuck with me from our previous conversation with you was um how much you were taking advantage of rewards programs um you know frequent flyer miles and hotel rewards programs and, and credit card rewards is that still a big part of your your portfolio now uh it's part of it uh i'm a little bit like kind of going ebbs and flows um with that and um I, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely still a part and I, uh, but I kind of, uh, don't go as hard as I was going then, I would say. Is that just like you sort of, um, lost interest in it or it was not, not, it's not worth as much anymore relative yeah, to the I things mean, you know, like, uh, I, I guess I just am not, um, you kind of, I, I take like the the best value ones and or the, you know the high the easiest opportunities and that kind of thing and then uh, for some of the lower it definitely would be like from an hourly rate perspective it would be worth it um, so I'm not saying that but it's just like I guess it's not as fun it's not you know it's a little bit uh, not exciting work and um, and then just being like super responsible and having everything uh, organized and stuff like that. Um, 
but every every now and again i uh i get uh i get motivated again and and do some do some work in that area uh yeah it's 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 big as you know like i've been uh i just learned a new word change like a totally new word for this but i don't have it homeless vagabond nomadic uh whatever i've been that <laughs> for uh for 12 years or 11 years uh 2012 was the last time i paid rent or a mortgage um and um uh yeah and just like i'm i'm trying not to have any schedules i'm trying not to have any things that i actually have to get done like uh any any real responsibilities so uh so like those kind of stuff are just like one more thing that that has to get done um and uh yeah you're still enjoying yeah. that uh lifestyle yeah you know it's got its ups and downs uh when uh, you know a few times over the years i've felt like okay maybe i'll stop it and then i hit another score and i'm like okay i'm excited again <laughs> uh for that uh which was kind of with like no limit hold them probably like a year ago i was yeah like yeah leading up to last world series i was not nearly as excited about it and i think like the first half of the world series i barely played any of the no limit stuff and then then i hit a score or two including the one that i went deep um with Carlos and I got, I got excited again about it. It's amazing the way it works. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a little, I'm, I've always been a little bit results oriented. I'm, you know, I've never been a mass multitabler for online. So when I was choosing what to play in the olden days, it'd be like, okay, I won the 50 rebuy yesterday. Well, the 50 rebuy is going to be in the schedule the next three <laughs> days. That's for sure. Mm, that makes sense. Like th there was definitely some tournaments that I played because I, I remember. So I won the bracelet online in the eight 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 event. Mm -hmm. And that year, I was like, I gotta play the live eight 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 event now. And <laughs> uh, what I realized that not only does that make no sense, but they're also two completely different games because the online, the live one is the one that they, I think, it like guarantees, like you know. 888 888 for first and uh, mm -hmm. and the the online one didn't I wish it did you know given that I wanted <laughs> and, but but it, it it got really weird that year because because they have that big guarantee it just takes so much from the other um payouts and I don't I think they got half the field uh, a much smaller number of runners than they had the first year so it really threw everything off so uh yeah I'll never play that tournament again <laughs> I I hate when I hate when they do that or even when the you know I mean first world problems have never been impacted this but right. when uh when they were guaranteeing the main event final table to be a million for first and then like 10th was like 500k and they just completely mess up um the strategy like you know the year McKeon one that was a huge impact for why he had the runaway chip lead and was able to do so well was the payout structure. And then, you know, everyone's in the same spot and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but, and then, you know, there was a really famous one in Windstar in, uh, in Oklahoma, where it was the same thing where it was like second was maybe like 300 K or something like that, where it first was guaranteed to be a million. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like among other things, that kind of stuff is it's like especially bad for more recreational players who obviously are already at a disadvantage um, in, in a tournament like that. But then the uh, being able to adapt to different like payout structures or understand like the ICM implications of things that are not um, 
you know, it's going to be different. Like the, the correct strategy is, is not going to be intuitive based on their experience playing other tournaments. It feels like just a, a sort of unnecessary um, extra advantage to give to people who have a better grasp of like poker theory. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agreed. And uh, look, uh, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to really talk bad about WSOP marketing um, because it, seems like overall that's like a super super strength you know over the years that what they've been able to build but um to me as a complete amateur marketing person uh, i don't think it changes much when you say uh we're guaranteeing uh the final table to pay this much for the main event yeah i, I that was also my reaction to sort of like i know that these people like should know more about this than i do but that really doesn't seem like it would move the needle yeah how do you feel like the um the the mix game um the sort of like the, the structures and, and things like that on those? I mean, do, do you feel like that's as well understood as um hold'em or does it feel like people are still kind of or like tournament organizers are still kind of figuring out how to run some of those events? Um, you know, when it comes to World Series, um the the players who the I mean, it's not like the organizer doing it without player feedback. So um, there's there's you know a few uh, prominent players that probably have a pretty big say um, in in those structures, um, and uh, and so I think it's I think it's pretty well organized and well uh, whatever. Um, I think maybe there was a time where in the lower stake ones um, they moved too fast for the average player. Um, I think. Unfortunately, like there's uh, maybe one one loud player who likes it to be really, really slow. And um, it's kind of like a free roll for the, not free roll because there's cost involved, but like a social media style free roll where if they, if, if organizers do a fast um, structure, they're going to, uh, they're going to get um, talked bad about on social media. And if they do a slow one, they won't. So a lot of them have moved into two slow structures. Like I, I've, I've played in some, like I, the, the most famous one in my mind that impacted me was like a 22 person. Um, I think it was half stud Hilo and half Oma Hilo that I played at the bike that had a reasonable structure. And then um, a certain player uh, got into the ear of the tournament director and they changed it. And it was like, we had reached the point where uh, it was supposed to end day one and there were still, we were not in the money in a 22 person tournament. There was like six people left um, and we had to extend day one um, in order to make the money in like this tiny field tournament. Like it felt like really ridiculous. So, you know, I mean, I've always been on the side where like, let's just get in two tournaments in a day and have them both be fast. And uh and rather than like one super slow, I know most places won't do that, but um, just like, um, I, I don't need super slow tournaments, uh, but I think I'm kind of in the minority with wanting them to be like extra fast. And um, I think it's really good for the ecosystem to uh, not have it be like, you know, super slow tournaments obviously uh, have a much higher skill situation. So it makes it much harder for a weaker player to win it. Um, I think by having faster tournaments, um, you allow, you you give a better chance to everyone to, to win a tournament. And, uh, that's such a good thing when, uh, when, when, when you, when a person wins a tournament, they will come back over and over and over and over again. Um, if they just like break out, um, they're not gonna, they're not gonna stay too long. 
Yeah, I think similar to the reverse free will thing that you were talking about earlier, um, I think it's also with how people evaluate structures. And that's been kind of a controversy, uh, correctly so, in my opinion, with WSOP, with how little time there is sometimes between the end of like a day one and the start of the day two. You might have only like 10 hours between those to you know, sleep and, and do whatever else you need to do. And um but you know, when when people are choosing which events they're going to play, especially people who are you know just coming to, to play a couple of events, it's easy for them to look at things like how long are the levels, how many starting chips do you get, and it's harder for them to think about. This is you know my my theory. Harder for them to think about you know what is my quality of life going to be on day two of, of this tournament, and so consequently, like the organizers are sort of incentivized to build these these things that have like deep starting structures which probably doesn't overall make for a better tournament experience because like probably most people would like to be well rested and have more time to play when the stakes are at their most meaningful even like more recreational players would i think often yeah. prefer that but it just you don't you don't know that when you're just looking at a structure sheet or you know, people who are less experienced looking at structure right sheets. people people don't really think about that and i remember um playing uh over the years tournaments that would just go to like five, six, seven in the morning, um, you know, having started at noon, it's just ridiculous, but no one really looked um, at that consideration. Um, a couple of things come to mind about that general topic. Number one, I, I think when it comes to World Series schedules, um, there there's a little too much influence from the players that just want to like max play everything, which is not very many players at all. You know, it's very, very few players that want to, Okay, let's move on to the next. Let's move on to the next. Let's move on to the next. And uh, and there, you know, for them having that short turnaround is kind of better, like because you know you make it that much deeper, quicker um, into the tournament. Um, and then what was the other thing I was gonna say? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I um. I have memories of my my very first main event. It was the the biggest one that they ever had, two thousand six. Um, and playing like the first day, I think we played six two hour levels on day one plus breaks and stuff. It was it was so. I mean, I was very grateful. I had I had a day off after day one, but uh, I guess everyone did because it was the day two. But yeah, it was it was it was just so brutal to play such um such long days. Yeah, no, no, they really are. Uh... Uh, oh yeah, the other thing I was gonna say is um, I you guys probably are not familiar with this um, because uh, we all live in America and don't have access to international poker stars, and I haven't played there in a couple of years now. But um, what they started doing in their series is very very interesting. They do not have tournaments one day a week during their series. There are no tournaments scheduled. There's no day twos that. Um, there's there's no tournaments. They run like side events, which are not, you know, officially part of the series. But um, one day a week is a, like a mental health day. You know, there's series just all the time going on. And I know it's a little different World Series, which is once a year. But um, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty, pretty interesting idea, which I do not see uh, going into place at all. But uh, it's something that I definitely... Um, you know, kind of admire that PokerStars does. They un understanding that um, you know, players sometimes uh, need need help and can't can't uh, can't help themselves. And if it's a series is going on, they're gonna play every day. And just having having that mental health day is uh, pretty good. Yeah, I, I did not know about that, but that is quite interesting. I would, 
now I want to talk to somebody about that and find out. Cause I, I mean, I just, I, I don't trust poker stars <laughs> to not have a, yeah. um, a, a plus EV reason for like, I, I, I mean, uh, not to say that it's like evil or something, but just, I, I feel like they, they must feel like it's good for the bottom line also. Right. Right. And it's, uh, I mean, in, in a, in a like world series thing, it'd be very, very rough for them because people would just go play a win and Venetian and competition. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very tough to see how that could be implemented, but yeah, but I, uh, when the first time I saw that, I uh, I was kind of annoyed because I was out there playing and, you know, there was no <laughs> tournament that day. Um, <laughs> but uh, but then I was also kind of uh, in admiration of it. How do you think about setting your schedule during, um, I guess, especially WSCP, but, you know, of all the events that you that you travel for? I mean, you strike me as a guy who does play pretty high volume. Um yeah, how, how do you think about when you're going to take, is that something you like plan in advance or you just take days when you feel like you need them? Yeah, I, I would say I am quite high volume uh, is, is accurate. I don't think uh, if you look at the past decade, I can't imagine um, there have been many players that have uh, many, if any, I think I'm probably have the most tournament entries uh, in live poker tournaments in the last decade. I just can't really see how anyone could compete given that I, uh, haven't lived anywhere. Um, and I, I reenter and all that and go kind of crazy sometimes. Um, so generally, what a clear, have, have what, you thought about that before? Or is this, were you just like realizing that in the moment that like literally no one has played more live tournaments than you? Have? I, I, I've thought, I've thought about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Normally during world series time, I open up Kenny Hallert's, uh, shout out to him, uh, page with all the different, uh, events going on and I just kind of that day see what I'm in the mood to play. I'm a big like kind of confidence person. And um, last year, for example, there was a MGM Grand had a leaderboard, uh, which would like it was separated from No Limit Hold'em and mixed game and then an overall one. And I ended up getting second in the mixed game one. So, um, but you know, as the, as the series was going on, I, uh, if it was at all close, I would go play there because I had that extra incentive this year. I, uh, I got drafted for the fantasy, Dan and fantasy 25 K thing. And my team, which I think a lot of teams are doing this, they sold me a piece of the team. And, um, and then there was some other drafts also, basically I, uh, <laughs> some people like, uh, made it, incentivized me to really play world series events, you know, given that I have a, a you know, a, whatever I I'm gambling on, on the side on my results also. Um, so I have, which I've been like super loyal to world series, um, basically playing them almost every day, uh, which I think by the way, I highly recommend to like all, uh, players to not only play world series. I think, you know, having a monopoly, we've seen this play out online which uh, has now gone away, but for a little bit where when PokerStars did have that monopoly, it led to uh, some really unplayer-friendly situations. Um, and I think, you know, in all industries, we don't want a monopoly going on. Um, so I think you want to support the competition. And then also, just like if you're looking for value and stuff like that, uh, very often the value will not be at World Series. And then thirdly, I personally... The way I run, I love variance. You know, I embrace variance. Variance is amazing. I, I run really well. Um, so I want as much as variance as possible. 
um, knowing that, you know, uh, historically, at, at least, you know, I've run in, you know, the top 1%. Um, but I know other people who maybe don't run as well. Maybe you don't love the variants. And, uh, well, you can't really come cry about variants if you're playing the 6,000 player monsters deck. Um, it may make sense to put in the $150, or not $150, 150 entry uh, tournament going on at one of the other venues. Um, and then lastly, like, you you should not come to Vegas and not play at the win at least a little bit because the win is just such an amazing venue to play uh, tournaments, cash, everything, and they have watermelon juice. Um, so, <laughs> so definitely do yourself a service and go play at the win. Um, you're gonna you'll you'll you won't regret it. Win is just like the staff is amazing, um, and this is not a slide at World Series. World Series, you know what they do is really good also. And I know that, you know, everyone listening is going to, if they're coming out and playing tournaments, they're going to play a World Series event. But maybe you wouldn't play win. So I will say go out and play the win. All right. Can you can you quickly, once again, I know you just did this, but just for effect, once again, can you please talk about the benefits of playing small field tournaments as opposed to these, as opposed to these massive 6,000 player fields? Um, so let's say you win a tournament twice as much as the average player. So when you play a 6,000-person 6, tournament, you're going to win it once every 3,000 times. I don't know if the math works out that way, like, you know, winning versus whatever, but we'll just be uh, simplified. You'll win it once every 3,000 times. Now, you uh, are not going to live enough to play uh, <laughs> close to that. So uh, you're going to win it. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. You'll, you'll win it once every eight lifetimes. Now, again, if you run like me, you probably should play that because once every lifetime, it, I mean, it's, it's, it, I, it, it, it's, it's a joke, but it's not real. It's like, if you guys saw the way I run on a day-to-day -day basis in this poker, it is just unbelievable. Like I, like I, I astound myself. It doesn't even seem possible. But anyway, um, uh, so yeah. So like, if you play a hundred person tournament, you're going to get to the final table. You're going to get, experience playing final table situations you're going to uh you're going to actually win which is a lot of fun you know it's a lot of fun to win a tournament um now of course you'd love to win you know these huge fields but that's not going to happen so um give yourself like allow yourself the opportunity to actually win you know get number one you know i get getting 17 for a big score is nice also but it's a different kind of feeling so yeah i i always the way i always look um would be like kind of uh, like a grab bag or like uh, in in the in my year of tournaments, I want to have some big fields, some small fields, some tough high buy-ins, some soft low buy-ins, and you mix it all in. You know, as a professional, I can play a lot of tournaments and mix it all in, and um, I'm kind of evening out the variance and evening out the skill and all that. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, but if you're only playing a few tournaments, um, I would you know kind of still do the same thing where uh, I wouldn't want to uh, just uh, forget about the small field stuff because it's like first is only that um, you know I'd want to understand it's you're going to be that much more likely to make final table and make first. And see, to me, that's what's fun about tournaments is making final tables and making first, and that's just a lot easier to do in a smaller field. So this is like something i've been preaching to people for years now so i just wanted you know the guy who's played more live tournaments than anyone on the planet 
to kind of uh, give his take on that, just so that it's not just Carlos, like uh, uh, preaching to people who uh, really want to, you know, play the big field tournaments and, you know, um, yeah, I, I'm just, um, thank you for um, um, backing me up. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. In, in the last decade, uh, for the most live tournaments in the last decade. Right, right. But that, that's yeah. got to be good enough for, for life. I mean, there weren't that many poker tournaments 15 years ago. Uh, yeah, that's true. But, uh, but I mean, I don't think I'm yet at the, at the overall number one. Um, really? It, Who else could it be? Um, yeah, I wonder, I, I mean, you know, so like Miami John has the most caches, um, but he plays well. I don't, I don't see him going off for seven entries. Um, in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I definitely have the most seven entry plus, uh, you know, in one tournament, I think, uh, I think I got that record locked down. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm, 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 I'm not sure. Yeah. I guess, I guess if it, if it is the last decade, there's a good chance, uh, that's the record overall. Also, also, if you're not willing to fire seven plus bullets, you probably should play in big field tournaments. Right. I, I mean, I can, I can understand, uh, I can understand strategies that involve, um, you know, kind of what I was saying earlier with the mental health thing where, uh, sure, you might not be maximizing, you know, financial, um, benefit, but, uh, it may make sense, you know, when you've, when you've entered two or three times in, in one day that, uh, that you say, Hey, it's not my day. Uh, that personally is not, not my strategy very often. Um, but, um, but I can, I can at least understand it. Yeah. I, I also am grateful to you. Um, and, and to Carlos, because Carlos is really the one who, who first gave me like permission to, to do that, to like play the smaller field events or just like play the stuff that's going to make you happy. Um, but I, I really have been trying to preach that to listeners of the show, but even more so like people who I coach of like, I feel like so many people, they're looking at it more like a lottery ticket of, how much can I win for a $500 entry fee? And I understand there's like a sort of person who I guess enjoys that gambling element, but I think a lot of people, that's not actually what they want. I mean, obviously they would like to win the first place, but I mean, in terms of like the actual tournament experience that they want, I mean, we, the rod, that's like exactly the opposite way to choose a tournament. Right. Basically like we, we know the way people like, you know, when, when economists, when economists, you know, ask questions and stuff like that, like people answer in certain ways, but we know based on actions, what people want, people chop tournaments all the time. <laughs> we know people are, people are nits, you know, they're not, they're not these crazy gamblers. And, you know, when, when you first enter the tournament, it sounds all exciting, but then you're always going to chop it at the end, you know? So like, <laughs> we know, we know that you don't love the variants. We know that you're not crazy. We know you're not, you know, when I asked to bet red and black on the table, which is neutral and just no one says yes. You know, like it, it, like most people do not just want to add in variants just for the sake of adding in. Um, and uh, and then also we know that people um, that, you know, the losing hurts more than the winning is positive. And um, if you want to, if you're going to come out for a week of tournaments and play, you know, seven different huge field tournaments, uh, most likely you're going to be losing. And if you do it in the small fields, well, most likely you're going to lose too, but uh, a little bit smaller of a chance. But the, the, the other thing is for some people, the losing includes like min cashing 
as opposed to winning. And so in a big field tournament, uh, a bigger percentage of the caches are more or less min caches. And so you're kind of making it harder on yourself. Like for a lot of people, winning would be not necessarily winning the tournament, but maybe getting like a top three or top four. Um, and it's just easy to do that in a smaller field. Also, because the big field has so much um, higher variance, the ICM considerations are higher. So you kind of have to main cash if it's there. Like you can't really just go for it on the bubble when most of the caches are main caches anyway. It plays more like a satellite, you know, around that that stage of the tournament. So the now smaller- you tell me this, Carlos. I went <laughs> fifteen years without cashing in the main event because I because uh, I didn't know about that kind of stuff. You were going for it. You were going for it. Uh, you could have folded into the money, right? A hundred percent. I had I had fifteen times the start tech three different times, and I didn't I didn't cash last year. Wow. I finally I finally got it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I learned the hard way. Uh, part, partially thanks to you guys, I I eventually eventually learned it. Good. Well, I'm I'm very happy to hear that. If you if you really want if you enjoy final tables more than you enjoy min caches, play smaller fields. That's all I'm saying. Another thing to uh, to like, uh, you know, a lot of people come come out and play poker and um, their partners are like maybe a little bit reluctant on about their like poker endeavors and, and you know, the amount of time spent and maybe the money and all that. And, uh, you know, when you when you finish third in the tournament, you you got that you, you show them the Hendon mob, you show them, you know, the trophy if you win it. That uh, that will that will help sell the next uh, the next poker trip you want to make um, <laughs> much much easier. So uh, you know, getting finishing twelve hundred eighteenth in the millionaire maker doesn't have the same cadence uh, <laughs> as uh, as third in the win. Yes, I, I truly feel like ten to fifteen percent of the poker coaching that I do is marriage counseling. <laughs> 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 I imagine this is this is maybe part of the appeal of playing some of the mixed games as well, as those are just like naturally I mean you so you could you can play like premier WSOP, you know, mixed game events and still not be facing like the kind of massive fields that you're getting in a millionaire maker. Right, right. And and even more so when it's non-world series time. I mean, to start off this year and uh, you know, my most saved uh uh, website on my browser is, uh, of course, my own Hendon Mob, which I'm pulling up now, <laughs> but it's freezing. Uh, I, I got yeah, it up. No worries. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to to start off this year, I have you know like a third, a sixth, blah blah, blah but all like you know probably like eight different you know single digit finishes where it's not it's not a lot of money. I mean, I am bragging, but I'm not really bragging. But it's like you get yeah like you know like you're you're getting the final table because it was 62 people in the tournament you know um so yeah you get all sorts of nice finishes um which you know are not going to be huge money or all that but uh but yeah there's definitely a much smaller field and you're much much more likely to end up winning it or getting second or something like that yeah and then the catches from those fields can kind of like fund your shots in the bigger fields and then also like uh you know you know like for example you know they have the the I don't know the name for the free roll nowadays global national something championship or world series well 
if you do play mixed games, you're going to have to get through a 78-person field. And if you play No Limit, you're going to have to get through a 478-person field. So you're, you know, any kind of thing like that, you're making it a lot easier for yourself um, if you are the kind of person kind of chasing uh, the glory or the ring or the bracelet or whatever it is, uh, you know, the field size is going to, or whatever, or the trophy at, you know, in Iowa at your local casino or in Missouri or wherever it is, um, you know, they give the same trophy, whether you win a 40 person big O tournament or a uh, 300 person, no limit tournament. So what are you chasing at this point? I mean, with, with all the poker success that, that you've had, uh, what, what, what goals remain for you? Um, well, you know, the retirement fund is, uh, is, is a big, is a big goal. Um, so, you know, I'm at the stage now where paying rent, hypothetical, I don't pay rent. I'm, you know, we went through that already, but uh, paying paying, uh, paying my living expenses for the next month, I am comfortable. I'm not going to have to worry. But, um, you know, the future of poker is uh, questionable. You know, I, uh, I play a large percentage of, uh, you know, over the course of my career, a large percentage have, has been online based and, um I uh, I went through a stage of not playing that much online, but then from from 2020 onwards, I've been playing a lot of online poker. But uh, I don't know if that is going to be a thing in three years, five years, twenty years. Um, you know, the longer the more longer we go out, the less uh, you know, the less confidence I have in that. And uh, even in person stuff, um, you know, with with the advent of these new technologies, it uh, it becomes questionable. So uh, the way I've looked at it a little bit over the course of my career is kind of like a sports player who uh, who has their 15 or 20 year, uh, if they're lucky, um, span to make a living and then they want that to last uh, longer. You know, hopefully, you know, uh, I've, I've been playing now almost 20 years. So, uh, you know, I, I expect it to be longer than 20 years, but um, it's, it's not clear to me that when I'm, you know, 60, let's say that I'll be making uh, enough to live on. So I, I would want to have uh, money saved up at that stage to, uh, to, to live off. Um, and then uh, a big, a big part for me is, uh, is that competitive, um, yeah, competitive mind war, that kind of situation. It's, it's super fun to compete and uh to try my hardest and know my opponents are trying their hardest and uh doesn't make a difference who your parents know it doesn't make a difference your race religion national origin all that stuff um doesn't make any any difference it's you know uh or or not very much uh you know you can kind of find a little uh little uh what's called um Little holes in that theory, but in general, I like I like the relatively very fair uh, situation that we have, and where we all get to compete. And um, I know my opponents are trying, or I hope that they're trying their hardest to win, and I'm trying my hardest to win most of the time. And um, yeah, I I enjoy that situation. I'll just make explicit. Uh, I don't really have any doubt about this, but you, when you refer to like these these technologies, you're talking about like. Artificial intelligence slash real time assistance sort of stuff. Yeah, and th- with that being a concern, more immediately for online poker, but potentially affecting live poker, like f- through the use of like wearable technology or that kind of thing. 
Yeah, and and I think I think a lot of people that are more in the industry um, or that pay close attention to things will automatically go towards bad behavior, which is definitely uh, an issue. But even without bad behavior, um, you know, just for like studying and getting better and stuff like that, that's 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 a big threat to uh, to a professional's long term uh, ability to make money. So even without any of the bad behavior. Um, you know, we know we know Rake takes out a lot of money, and you really have to be quite a bit better than average um, to be able to take a livable wage um, from this. And um, yeah, it's not it's it, you know if if the average gets too good, and um, and I stop running in the top one percent of luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's kind of a grim note to to end on. Um, <laughs> well, look, I didn't want to end. Uh, I know Ari probably has to go. In fact, he's probably in two online tournaments as we speak. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I sat out. I, I was playing PLO eight cash uh, <laughs> up to this, and and I sat out because uh, uh, my multitasking skills are not up to par. And uh, you guys certainly deserve uh, my full attention. Um, I'll, I'll say I know probably the correct thing is for you guys to start with the outro, but I'll say I've been a longtime fan of you guys. And um, um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's very, very interesting, entertaining. And uh, I know all of us that uh, are listeners learn a lot uh, from all, all the work that you guys do. Thank you. Uh, do, do we have time for a couple of rapid fire questions? Please don't go, make go long ahead. answers. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you mentioned playing online. So does Bodog already play on Ignition? Uh, no, I uh, I There's don't. There's no Ignition Ori? That hurts my heart. I basically I got um, I'm, I <laughs> as much as someone that plays with me might not think this, but I'm kind of a nit at heart. And um, given that given my lifestyle that I can be kind of anywhere I want, um, I just choose to play on legal regulated sites, um, for all my online play. That makes sense. Second question with as much as you play live, is it possible to get seven star just from poker? Is that even possible? No, not, not just from poker. Okay. Okay. And the last question, uh, because, well, well, you kind of maybe answered this one earlier. I always like to ask you for any of your netcast tips, because I know for, you know, someone who plays as high as you do, you do tend to also have um, good uh, money saving um, ideas. But it sounded like earlier you said that you've kind of moved away from that as much as you used to. Yeah, you know, I mean, I still I still am uh, on on the more nittier side. Um Let's see. Do I have a good good tip when it comes to that? Um, I don't know. Uh, hotels can be canceled up to like a day or two before usually, and sometimes even the last second. And I mean, you know, if you're at, if you're a two out of ten or better speaker, you could probably cancel it the day of. Um, not a problem. Uh, maybe violating a term of service or two. Um, but yeah, so like book hotels well in advance when they're cheap, and if they get if you find them cheaper. Um, then you could just cancel and rebook. Um, auto slash dot com, A U T O slash for rental cars, really good. Uh, you can both do your initial uh, search and then you can put in you can put in the existing reservation and they'll keep looking uh, for better rates uh, there. Um, 
that's a couple of stuff. I will, I will confirm the tip about booking early because I'm currently staying at the Horseshoe for around $30 a night because I booked it this time last year, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, that's, that's like, 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 you know, the WSOP is going to be in the summer. Uh, exactly. I'm, I, spoiler alert. 2024 is going to be in the summer. So you can probably book it before the day of. And uh, last question. You you um, have listened to the show for a while. Uh, what are some of your uh, favorite recent episodes? I've, I've loved, uh, I've loved like the recent stuff where like people that I didn't know, like when I first started listening to, uh, to, and I listened to a lot of different poker content. Um, and I think probably like the normal or the average person that listens is like, okay, big name. I got to listen to that show. Um, but, um, but I've loved it. I, I just played with her, um, and but I'm blanking on her name. She 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 won entry into the win and then went super Lorianne. deep in Lorianne. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was super interesting. I just sat next to her uh, yesterday. It might be two days ago. Um, I think it was in the Salute to Warrior tournament, but it might have been in a different uh, Big Field was, No Limit one. Th- that was probably it. She she um, talked about playing that on Twitter recently. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I liked that. I liked uh, I liked um, the the couple from uh, the DC area. The, that was that was really the you know basically like hearing stories that were like you know kind of different to mine and just uh, getting exposed to like uh, these like different these yeah a, l- a little bit different than uh, because you know I've been I've I've been listening to poker content for 15, 20 years. So like uh, this the standard the standard questions are not are not very exciting. Um but yeah, but um but no, but I like uh I I've I've enjoyed uh I've enjoyed over the years. Um I enjoyed it with Nate and I enjoyed it with you, Carlos. Um and um of course Andrew has been uh, you know, the the one always there. Um but yeah, I like I, I like the strategy stuff that you guys do. Um, I very often find those uh, interesting, and uh, it's good stuff. So uh, you know, GPI award or not, don't uh, don't let that affect you. And uh, you got you guys are uh, you guys are top top top. Like my uh, my old Bodog uh, sponsoree once said. Nice. Well, let me um, lastly um, mention these names because I think that is important. So the couple that you talked about was um, uh, Caitlin and Justin Arnwine. Um, And yeah, like they've been around um, this year during the series and getting some love on Poker News. Very happy about that. And then also Gloria Jackson, who is now my girlfriend, uh, her and I have been around and, you know, some of the... um, uh, some of the names of people, like you said, that, you know, you've been listening to content for 15 years and haven't heard of these people. And most of them have been around for, you know, at least 10 years. And so yeah, I've definitely yeah. played with Gloria a lot over the years. Um, uh, again, sorry that I'm not remembering uh, the DC couple, even though you just said them. But I don't <laughs> I don't think I played with either of them before, especially uh, when they were describing um, the guy. Uh, having Hello, like Kitty. A, yeah, yeah, I feel like I would probably remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, which is weird, you know, because like I play everywhere and I feel like if you play a reasonable amount, I probably have played with you at least somewhere. 
Um, but yeah, maybe I haven't been to uh, the DC area in a couple of years. Um, and uh, yeah, no, so it's cool. It's, 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 it's good what you guys are doing, uh, exposing. Uh, and then now that they're getting uh, Poker News coverage, that's great too. Um, so, uh, you know, all of us have the same interest in growing the game and, uh, it, uh, and, you know, uh, expanding it to different parts of the world. And, um, yeah, so it's cool. Yeah. I can confirm that if you play live, Ari's played with you because I think Ari knocked me out of the first, one of the first live events I played at the Brigada. And then also the last live event I played at the uh, <laughs> WSOP. So if you play live poker, Ari has definitely busted you out of an event for sure. Oh yeah. The one other tip I would say is you don't want to get into a flip with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like that's uh you know, it's it's bad enough if you have seventy percent equity. It's, you know, <laughs> that's probably a flip. But uh, if you try if you try an ace king against queens against me, uh, that's gonna be a rough one. I was so th this is how good Ari runs. Um, I remember we weren't even at the same table, but you and I a couple of years ago at the WSOP were changing rooms. You know, they they broke our table and we're moving into another room. So we're we're walking in a line and you and I are next to each other and we're talking. And you were in front of me, and we got to where the guy is handing out the seat cards. And I think that we at this moment we had somewhat similar stacks. We were we were comparing these things as poker players do. And just as we were getting up to the, the person who was handing out stacks, you sort of in, in a way that made it seem very gentlemanly, like stood aside and gestured for me to go ahead and go first and, and take the card. And so I got the card that should have been your card and and, and you took the next <laughs> card. And two hours later, you were the chip leader of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds very standard. Uh, there's, there, there's probably about like 60 people that have a similar story to that. It's crazy. It, it, it is absolutely insane. And, you know, I've been documenting on Twitter small little snippets. I mean, for every one thing that I post about how ridiculously good I run, there's 10 or 20 that don't make the cutting floor. I mean, it is just I had in, in that in that uh, 500 uh, salute to warrior tournament. I had a, a French man at the table just. Bur like 50 year old guy just burst out laughing. He is English. He didn't speak very much English, but it was just so ridiculous the way I was running. Like he just couldn't control himself just <laughs> over and over and over again. Well, I will say by way of conclusion, Ari, that I very much appreciate your kind words about the show, but just knowing that you're uh, out there listening, I have a very high opinion of you as, as a poker player and as a human being. And I, I love that you were listening to the show and that you like the show. So thank you so much for that. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And thanks for taking the time today. Take care. Okay. All the best. of a car and the light of the fair passage of a bill and who will sign us into law I know you won't